Welcome to Language Chats. This is a podcast for language lovers in Australia and beyond, where we share our experiences of language learning with you, as well as the stories of other Australians and a few international guests who love learning, working with and communicating using other languages. I'm Beck. And I'm Penny, and we'd like to begin this episode by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording today, the Wurundjeri, the Ladji Ladji people and the Bidjigal people and we pay our respects to Elders past and present. And Beck, we are excited because we have got another panel chat with some Language Lovers AU community members. Welcome Ingrid, welcome Hanyu, so great to have you here. Lovely to be here. Happy to be here. Yay! before we kind of dive in, it would be great to, I guess, get to know a little bit about you both. Um, so perhaps, Hanyu, if we start with you, if you're able to tell us a bit about yourself and how you became interested in languages, where you grew up and what languages were around when you were growing up. If we could start with that, that'd be great. Sure. Hi, my name is Hanyu and I am a Malaysian Chinese who grew up in a multilingual background society. So I grew up in Malaysia and recently moved to Australia, Melbourne, about four years back. So I grew up with English, Malay language and Chinese and a lot of dialects around me. So we were taught three different languages at school from a young age and we are meant to study them and be good at them from a young age. So um So I became interested in languages from a very young age and languages have sort of always been my um, strength, the subject that helped me score higher total scores in my exams. And I tend to be able to write pretty well and express my feelings and thoughts using words. And I love to read and how see how other people use words and languages to achieve their objectives and purposes that they have intended to achieve. So I enjoy listening to how others express themselves and using words wisely and intellectually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So my mother tongue was Chinese Mandarin and over time, English became the language that that is used predominantly in my daily life. And so learning that language is a bridge to communicate and know how to speak the language bridges many communication barriers is what sparked my interest in learning. Yeah. And why did you decide and, to come to, to move to Australia, honey? Um, you know how there are a lot of Malaysians who are actually migrating over to Australia for the education purposes. So that's part of our story too. So I have three boys who are currently studying in Australia. Um, they are in high school and primary school at the moment. Wonderful. Mm. And Ingrid, yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your language story. Yeah, so my story is quite different to Hanyu's story. Um, I grew up in Australia in a small country town. My parents were actually immigrants from South Africa in the Netherlands, but we didn't speak any language other than English at home, a couple of words, nothing significant. And I did mandatory French at high school and it was fine, but nothing, I sort of didn't follow that up. And then after I'd finished university, I just took a couple of language courses, just did a bit of French with a community college and um, bit like the bug bit me. And we, um, 
I, I fell in with a group of friends who every Wednesday for two hours would have wine and cheese and speak nothing but French. And I'd be sitting there with my dictionary next to me. And it was, it was fantastic. And then I moved to Canada and lost all my French, um, which is a pity. Um, picked up a few words of um, Korean with doing Taekwondo and a few bits and pieces from the international student com uh, community there and came back to Australia um, decided I'd pick up Spanish because it was the easiest to learn from a book because you actually pronounce all the syllables as opposed to French and sort of dabbled for a long time. A few years ago, I went across to Japan just for a holiday, so I picked up a little bit of Japanese before it and it must have been good because when I was asking for directions to the toilet, my daughter who was with me said, it sounded like you were speaking real Japanese. I'm like, yeah, it was. <laughs> and um, oh. moments like that just keep me going. I've spend a lot of time lately on Mandarin and I've just recently put that back on the shelf and I've pulled out the French again and um, I'm sort of committed I think to learning French again. Uh, my daughter and I are considering going over to um, France in a couple of years time and it would be lovely and I'm loving the fact she came out to me today and said oh, I'm learning a little bit of French too. I'm like yes. <laughs> yes yep. you've had the you've had the impact. <laughs> yeah well she's learned a bit of Greek at school and she's like what am I going to do with Greek and we were out near the Queen Victoria building and she saw a little bit of Greek on one of the statues there and she said, oh, that says apple. And I'm like, oh, that's, those are the moments that hook you. Wow. Yes. Isn't it great, those real-life things where you go, oh, I could actually use this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very cool. Um, Hany, your children are studying here in Australia do you yes. have a multilingual home or do the kids and you speak mostly English at home or how does it work in your household? So I am trying to um, keep them going with Mandarin, but then it will be very funny. So I was speaking Mandarin to them and they were re replying in English and that's the all conversation. So we have two conversations, two languages going on in one conversation, and they could understand me, but they will have to reply in English because they can't string a sentence in Chinese for me. Yeah, but I'm just trying to get them to listen to more, totally. so that they keep still keep their vocabularies going. Yeah, so it's I a very it's funny type of conversation. I think it's from all the chats back that we've had on the podcast, it seems like such a common thing amongst parents and families where there's two, maybe sometimes even three languages all happening in one conversation at home. And, mm. you know, me who grew up in a kind of like a monolingual English only household, I just think, oh, well, it's so exciting. But I can understand as a parent point of view, it's probably like, you know, a bit frustrating as well but I think you mm. know how awesome that your kids can actually understand Mandarin and but respond I think daily conversation and content wise if it is easy content they will be able to pick up just fine mm. so words that they are used to listening to around our daily lives they are able to pick up the instructions and understand and respond accordingly but if I were to teach them more or we want to talk about something, um, a topic of discussions, then I'll have to switch it to English. Otherwise, the communication is just not going anywhere. 
<laughs> it's um you're right that it is a really common a really common thread in many families that have more than one language in the household and um it's just reminded me actually of a conversation that I had with a friend actually ages ago now but um she is French and her kids um, they live in the Netherlands now and um her uh, the, the kid's dad is Polish um, and they always had that plus English in their household so really four languages now um, and I think there's a there's a propensity to feel like um, like you're not doing it correctly I think because there's so many languages going on and the kids will switch between the languages when they feel comfortable and, and all that sort of stuff but of course nothing is Nothing is like incorrect about that. I think that's just natural. It makes it makes sense that in in different situations and for different kinds of conversations, like you said, Hanyu, where like you know where it, when it's simpler, it's fine. Sometimes when it's more in depth, they'll want to use, I guess, the language that they're more whatever they're most comfortable um, speaking in or perhaps what they had do their education in um, because they get so much exposure from that at school. But all of those things are still right. Yeah, it reminds me too, Beck, of that um, interview that we did with another language lovers member, Shilang Okfam, who produced that SBS podcast all about bilingual families. And yes. we'll pop a link in the show notes to that podcast because it was really awesome. I don't know if you've either of you had a chance to listen to that one, but there were so many kind of light bulb moments, even as you know, someone who doesn't have the the benefit of you know multiple languages in the home. It was it was a really good one to listen to. Um, Ingrid, I love that you have an upcoming trip as a, you know, a motivating (laughs) thing for you and for your daughter as well. How do you go about, I guess, the day-to-day, like with all your languages that you've been able to learn over the years, you know, Chinese, French, Japanese, and even Korean as well, um, little motivations that kind of keep you going when you don't potentially have travel as that motivator Um, and I know we've all been there you know COVID is one thing but also there's many other reasons why we can't travel but is there is there something else that keeps you going (laughs) I think um, you've got to you've got to understand why you're learning the language for me it's a hobby I don't think my life is ever going to depend on it so it's it's just something I do for the fun of learning and just for those magic wow moments when you do connect with someone Um, for me the the push behind learning Mandarin even though I'm not planning to go to China is because around my area there is a fair bit of Chinese when you look for it you see trucks go past that might have a few Chinese characters on them or there's a church around the corner that does a Chinese service so seeing those little pops is quite motivating Um, going on I I was using Duolingo so that streak is pretty powerful even though um, occasionally it was just one two-minute lesson just to keep the streak going it was like oh, I need to keep the streak going so that was pretty motivating and um, it's just a bit of a logic puzzle like I'm doing it to keep my brain alive as well just um it's just good exercise I mean you go for a run in the morning and do join lingo at night that's sort of a very well-rounded um it doesn't always work that way but it's it's something to aim for and um I've got other little things like I've got a little book that um is full of Chinese characters it's it's a idiom book it's a fairly simple book fairly simple language I would imagine I'm I'm not um fluent enough to really be able to say whether it is or not but just going through that with the yellow highlighter and highlighting all the characters that I knew and going wow I I don't understand I don't 
know what any of these sentences mean, but look how many characters I know. And then going back over in green highlight when you actually understand what that character is doing in that spot, it was just a real, um, it's really exciting. Mm. And that sort of thing without even having a trip planned is is something to keep you going because I want to be able to turn the next page and put a bit more green in the next page. I love it's, how you've described it as exercise. Um, oh, yeah. Because I, I, I kind of agree. I think that language learning is a little bit like exercise. I mean, fun exercise. <laughs> Probably not everybody <laughs> thinks that exercise is fun. Um, but, like, I, I do think it's, it's, it's a brain exercise that, that – you know, it makes you think, but I think in a really, often a really different way to how, um, you know, like I'm sure with people with work and the things that keep them busy during the day, um, whatever that might be, learning a language or really learning anything actually kind of does stimulate your, it exercises your brain in a way that sits outside of just your like day-to-day occupation. Yeah, um, it's, it's like a billion piece jigsaw puzzle. And you just yeah, but you'll probably never finish. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But it's it's so good when things you sort of get a little bit more of a picture, and it's yeah, I love it. That's a lovely way to describe it. I'm I'm really liking the images that you're giving me, Ingrid. (laughs) Exercising the jigsaw, it's all coming together in my mind. I love the yes, I agree. I love the green and yellow highlighting. That to me is a is a real visual and such a tangible way to measure like your progress and acknowledge it just what there's a lot of is. Mm. there are a lot of days when I, I look and I go I I'm not making much progress I really don't I'm not great at this I'm, I'm tenacious more than talented I would say in terms of language and it's just really nice to be able to open that and go hey reality check you are making progress that's really good. Um, I'm feeling a bit also like as an outsider here, like I'm the odd one out because I'm the only one who hasn't studied or speaks Mandarin Chinese here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Beck, well um, maybe it's one for your list. Ah, uh, I know. <laughs> oh, of that list. The ending list. <laughs> the, next, the next double challenge. That's yes, right. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, Hanyu, I was going to ask as well, just in hearing in hearing Ingrid talk about her experiences with Mandarin Chinese, how do you find with um, dealing with students who are learning um, Mandarin Chinese in Australia, um, you know, your thoughts as a teacher? How do, how do you find that? So um, it, is, it is really, really fun and interesting to be teaching Mandarin Chinese to children in Australia and particularly, um, like in particular, our our area in Donvale where there are children who are already speaking Chinese Mandarin at home and in, at the same time I have children who who are learning as a foreign language so um, I teach prep to year three oh. so they are at a very impressionable age and they actually pick up the sounds and the pronunciations very very clearly at a young age so they would really be able to model what the teacher is teaching and give me the perfect pronunciation that I'm looking for. And that is very, very encouraging. So I would sometimes turn and look at the screen and they would be saying something behind and saying exactly what I would hope to hear. And I was like, wow, look at you. Your pronunciation is perfect. And I am very, very impressed at how children at a young age are able to pick up the language so well and and to be honest when they are older it is actually harder for them to pronounce the word 
as accurately as their younger friends. What, what do yeah. you think that is? Because, you know, it's I've heard this before as well and I think I've seen it in real life too that, you know, my, my six-year-old, she can pronounce things really, really well. Like she just seems to have this good good ear for tones and, and everything. Um, what do you think happens after that kind of eight, nine-year-old kind of stage? I mean, I know, you know, there's all kinds of developmental things that happen, you know, yeah. with kids and stuff. But, you know, if we're thinking about like tones. I feel that the, the, the time that changes the child's learning of language, it's around the age of between seven and eight. So before seven, they really have a good ear for hearing the tones and different um, sounds. But as their ability to read comes in stronger, their ability to hear becomes less. You know, you know how it switched and they, they were just like, okay, I'm reading more now, but I'm trying to use my reading skill rather than my listening skill as much. Whereas for younger students, when they are not able to read as well, yet they would be able to hear better that's a really good point because it's about you know the senses and reliance on this sense after we lose reliance on yeah. this sense yeah yeah the visual versus the or you know oral yeah. <laughs> actually i feel like that's a really good reminder for adults as well that sometimes we need to focus purely on the sound I think we're very I know I know I do this too but as language learners it's very easy um to want to read like to want to start with reading as well and like just look for words and be able to recognize them and recognize the ones that look like English or look like your first language and then use them as a hook to help you um as you as you start learning um and it is harder to remember to focus on the sounds and kind of process them alone without um, necessarily like using the words that you can see written as a hook. Um, I haven't thought about it like that before, but it's, mm. it's a really good reminder. <laughs> Sometimes maybe we do just need to focus only on what we're hearing and how to try and produce what we hear. Yeah, so sometimes I would encourage the older children to close their eyes and not look at anything, just focusing on listening and then repeat the same sound. So in that way, they are um, they're less distracted by what they see. Yeah, that's a good tip. Yeah. Um, Ingrid, when you were learning um, or when you have been learning um, Mandarin Chinese, how have you found processing the sounds of Chinese? They are, they are very, like, I think really interesting in because it is tonal. And for English speakers, tones are, uh, like, are very different as a, as a kind of linguistic concept because for us, melody and tone in language is more about emphasis um, more than it is about meaning. I would have to say that I have approached a few friends at the dog park and I would say, look, I'm going to murder your mother tongue. I apologise for the sounds I'm about to make. And I would um, just launch into it and just, I think you've just got to practice and be prepared to make a horrible mess of it and just rely on the kindness of the person you're speaking to. And they will, 
people always are very happy to hear you attempting their language. So they'll gently guide you. I did have, uh, there was a, a five-year-old at my daughter's primary school. Her mother was a translator and I attempted some Chinese and she said, oh yeah, that's there, but I say it properly. And I, the mother was very embarrassed by this and I said, no, that's true though. That's her accent at five years old is much, much better than mine, but it, it's, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like I'm learning. I know that this is not, this is a very, very different idea to the way that I've learned to speak. And um, yeah, just roll with and be prepared. And my accent is terrible. It is, it is terrible, but it's a learning journey and I'm okay with that and it will get better and it is better than it started. So I think you've just got to be respectful of people's languages, but be a bit fearless and just go, you know what, um, it, it's again, it's unlikely I'm going to need this to live. So, <laughs> so just jump in. And enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. I, I do wonder sometimes, so I, I was in band at high school and I wonder if people with musical ears have a better time with languages, but I can't say this is a sterling example. I, I think that I'm more aware of it, but reproducing it is very difficult. And I've picked up that tip. I think I'm going to try with my eyes closed. I think that's a really good tip. Yeah, what? that's right. I think I think the music the music um, connection is something that we have spoken about before, Penny and I both, and I think there's definitely something in that. Um, I mean, I, we we both also did music as as children and, and at school, and there, there is something about that sort of auditory processing. I think that is helpful. It's not the be all and end all, but it definitely helps um, because in lots of ways, language is like music. Um, you know, listening for it, it's just written down differently. Um, but the the way that we talk and the words and how they how they sound, it's actually very melodic. Mm. Have you come across that, Hanyu, in any of your teaching or studies? Any kind of links between music skills and language skills? I haven't heard about it before, but I do think it is very true because. Especially if you're talking about Mandarin Chinese, which is a um, language t- language that has different tones, and it definitely sounds like music. And if you are someone who does music, and you will be able to hear the differences um, more um, clearly than those who don't. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Maybe that's why I was, you know. You know, if if you've got a musical kind of interest or background, are you drawn to you know tonal languages because you're like, oh, you know, I could I can kind of hear this. Maybe I don't know. Be interesting. I'm sure there's some studies out there. So if you're listening and you know of any, <laughs> yes, let us know. Us. <laughs> We're interested. <laughs> Ingrid, you mentioned that you like you quite like to dabble. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. As as double as ourselves. Um, what's your next language that you think you might double in? <laughs> oh, I think I'm just focusing on on the French. We're possibly going to do Spanish, so then I'd re reinvigorate the Spanish. Uh, the Spanish. Um, I hear you guys talking about um, Scandinavian languages, and I've got to say that's put that on the radar for me. Um, other than that, I think Arabic. Um, just because the script is so amazing, and again, it's a language that I do have opportunities to to hear around the place. So um, I think it's always better when you've got a language that you're able to use 
where you live, even if it's only a sort of a word or a phrase or, or something at the time. So, look, I would love a magic wand and just be able to learn all of them. I, I did try three in rotation, sort of one week of Spanish, one week of Japanese, one week of French. It was a disaster, but it was it was good to see if I could do or not. And I think if I retired today, I'd, that's absolutely what I would do. So, oh. For that magic wand. <laughs> I love that you described that as, as a disaster. I'm sure it wasn't a total disaster. You probably still learned plenty from it. <laughs> oh, I did learn, but um, I don't. I don't look. I'm, I'm glad my life is not depending on it. Um, but it's, it's fun. But that's my attitude towards learning language generally. It's not my career. It is absolutely a hobby, and um, yeah, I think it gives me a certain amount of freedom because I can muck around with things, and if it doesn't work out, that's fine. Absolutely. There's there's a lot to be said for being the, I think, the way that learning a language can make you open to being vulnerable um, and being kind of vulnerable in a safe space, of course. Like when, when you are learning and you're among other learners or with the support of a teacher or with the support of other people around you who appreciate that you are a learner, um, that the way of being safely vulnerable, I think is actually a really, it's a really nice thing to be able to experience, um, but a great um, way of experiencing kind of the beauty of learning. Um, because really that's, I guess that's what we do. And when, when you're a child, like I knew when you were talking before about the young children and their ability at sort of about six um, to be really picking everything everything up and and really listening and repeating what they, what they hear, um, I think like children are just in this position where they are so vulnerable, but they're fine with it because what else are they supposed to do? <laughs> um, but I think, you know, as adults, we forget that and we, we get into this position of feeling like we're, we're, we're old enough to know things and, and we should know better. Um, but of course, it's always beautiful to learn. It's, it's so nice to continue learning. Hanyu, you, have you got any language learning projects at the moment are you focused on any languages <laughs> no I'm not but I think I should <laughs> listening to how Ingrid shared about her language learning projects I, I think it. I should yeah so if you if I you think, had to choose one what would you choose <laughs> yeah I think um back when I was in uni I pick up French for a little while and I remember writing down all the conjugations and trying to memorize every single one of them. And and just one single verb has eight different conjugations, right? And I think I would like to pick up the language again. And yeah. Oh, so, good luck! Yeah. You'll have to you'll have to keep us up to date with if, with if you do go down the the French path, yeah. how it goes. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like we might need to do a double challenge again, Penny. I know. <laughs> Yes, because, you know, Ingrid can, you know, pick one of her many or maybe, you know, Arabic or something new. You never know. I know. And maybe this is my time to start learning some Mandarin Chinese. (laughs) And maybe finally, you know, I'll do some Spanish or Portuguese because we've been talking about that as well. (laughs) So many languages. (laughs) So many to choose from. Oh, we really appreciate you both giving up your time to come and chat with us on Language Chats. Thank you so much, Ingrid. Thank you, Hanyu. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both so much. 
So Ingrid and Hanyu are both uh, members of our Facebook group, the Language Lovers AU community. So if you would also like to interact with other like-minded language lovers like Ingrid, like Hanyu, like me and Penny, um, then please join our Facebook group. Um, we do like to chat things language um, there. Um, and yes, of course, you can chat with other people too. And if you've enjoyed this podcast and you think there might be a family member or a friend who might also enjoy it, please feel free to share it with them. And don't forget, if you've got time to leave us a rating and a review on the podcast page, we really appreciate it. And we will catch you all in another fortnight. Thanks again. Thanks, Hanyu. Thanks, Ingrid. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Dr. Hanyu. See you, Andrew.